Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. We are back with the CIO Strategy Snapshot Conversation after a week off. And of course, there is a lot to talk about as it pertains to the economy, policy, and the market. So joining us once again for the conversation, glad to welcome back from the UBS Chief Investment Office, the Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas, Jason Dreho. Jason, good morning to you. Welcome back and thank you for joining us on this Monday morning. Good morning, Dan. That's good to be here. It's been a couple of weeks. Uh, it's been a while and certainly a lot to cover today. Definitely. So perhaps, Jason, we can begin with the state of the U.S. economy, because I know you recently released a blog titled Heat Wave. And within that blog, you do suggest that the economy is heating up here in late summer. So how well exactly is the economy actually performing? Well, you know, in New York City last week, we probably had the hottest stretch all summer, a bit of a late summer heat wave. And that feels like an appropriate analogy for the U.S. economy, which as we moved into August and got July dead, it's continued on now into September. You know, collectively, so the economy is holding up quite well. Uh, it's likely still growing above trend, which I think kind of like say above 2% would be above trend. Just for reference, the Atlanta Fed puts out a tracking estimate of GDP. Uh, right now, it's tracking at 5.6% for the third quarter. Everyone, you know, investors expect this will come down. Other forecasts are more in the 25 to 3% range, but it's still... You know, a very elevated number. The data we saw for July was you know, the consumers holding up quite well. Uh, some of that might reflect sort of a pull forward of you know spending in July versus August. You know, Amazon had a Prime Day. There was like really data showing how the you know kind of Barbenheimer movie effect that you know Taylor Swift concerts they're actually having a you know, notable impact on you know GDP in different pockets of the area. So it's, it's all consumer spending. So the consumer is is holding up, but there's signs that some of that's now kind of moderate as we move into late summer. The labor market, uh, the data we've got for August uh, shows that it is clearly cooling, and there, I think there's no disputing that trend. With the number of jobs created on the month, it's, it's down the kind of two-year job openings have declined significantly. Overall, the labor market's getting much more back into balance compared to the stream dislocations you know, going back two years ago. But it's also still a healthy labor market. Last Thursday, we got the, um, the latest weekly jobless claims, it was the lowest reading since the end of February. So that tells you there's not a lot of stress yet in the labor market, even though it's cooling. So I think all told, you know, there's a lot of talk about reacceleration, you know, the economy and fears about that as we kind of see it performing so strong. Uh, but I think the reality is that the economy is slowing. Some of the things that we saw earlier this summer aren't likely to last. Uh, and it's going to trend lower as the impact of higher rates continue to work their way through the economy, whether it's small businesses, consumers, other pockets of the economy. Now, that's the case, but we still think it's trending towards a kind of a softish landing, at least for the next 12 months. We don't think a recession is happening. So, you know, definitely some heat in the summer, cooling as we go into the fall, but not getting too frigidly cold as we move into the winter. Uh, Jason, thank you for that recap. So, sticking with the economy, it is inflation week. We will be receiving the consumer price index CPI print for. August, that's coming out this Wednesday. So what do you expect the inflation data to look like this month as well as in the months ahead, especially in light of the economy heating up, as you just described for us? Well, the thing that's interesting is what you've had, you know, strong economic growth data early part of the summer. At the same time, the inflation data is continue to show you know, disinflation trends. That was true for the June CPI data. It was also true for July 
Now, what we're going to get, though, for the August numbers is actually a bit of a, a backup. Uh, and this is going to be most pronounced in the headline numbers. Uh, Bloomberg consensus uh, among all forecasters is, you know, it's going to rise to 3.6% headline CPI on a year-over-year basis. For context, June, it was down to 3%. So a bit of a backup there. And then what you know, investors really kind of focus on is the more recent trend, meaning month-to-month changes. That's forecast to be 0.6% in a month-to-month. It had fallen to slightly less than 0.2% for you know, June and around the same level for July. So some of this is, uh, you, know, you know, at least the headline number, a little bit disconcerting. Uh, at the same time, though, core inflation measures, which is really what you know the Fed focuses on, what the, the markets ultimately really will care about, those are still expected to decline. Uh, other measures of kind of trimmed inflation, when you take up some of the more extreme outliers, those have been steadily going down, and that should continue. Um, yeah, I mean, there's still some signs of stickiness, so the, the disinflation story isn't you know, certainly you know, uh, without some turbulence. Uh, the rise in headline numbers, this has been well sort of, uh, you know, uh, forecasted. It's well telegraphed. Investors know about it. It shouldn't come as a surprise if we get those numbers. And a lot of it can be attributed to some specific factors. So oil prices actually rising almost 30% from their lows in June uh, to where they are now. So that's certainly affecting how you gas prices. That will ha- affect the headline number. So what we have is a disinflation story that should continue, but you know, it won't be quite as smooth decline as we've seen for much of this year. There's going to be a little bit more at least headline risk and noise, uh, and that's just going to keep the, the markets on edge, especially as we kind of go back to this, the first question of, is the economy running too hot? Could it reaccelerate? When seeing inflation numbers tick up, even if we know why they're going up, that's still not the, the most comforting time from the market's perspective. Given these growth and inflation conditions, let's turn to policy for a moment. What are your expectations for the Fed now? We do have the policy meeting next week, September 20th, and Wednesday. We will receive the decision from the FOMC. So expectations for next week as well as what the balance of the year might deliver in terms of monetary policy. Well, if we look at what the Fed cares most about, you know, the inflation story right now, even if the headline numbers go up, the core numbers just continue to go down. And that's what you know, gives the Fed the most you know, kind of comfort, that the inflation trajectory is still in the right direction. Then what they also care about is growth. And the best way to proxy that for their perspective is the labor market. That's the other half of their dual mandate, full employment. And the fact that the labor market is getting much more back into balance, uh, you know, wage growth is moderating, Job growth is moderating to a level that is you know, much more consistent with a sustainable level long term. I think that's also the biggest factor that would give the Fed comfort to, um, to be able to skip next week, which is why the market is pricing less than a 10% chance that the Fed's going to hike uh, at, at the September 20th FOMC meeting. It's like you know, 6 or 7% implied by the market. So the focus really for that FOMC meeting is the guidance it gives regarding its updated economic projections. So relative to June, the last time they did it, it's, you're going to see probably a pretty big jump uh, in you know, the GDP growth for this year and maybe even to next year to some extent. Some of that is just reflecting the fact that growth, the data we've gotten for the second quarter and now it's coming in for the third quarter, would be far above what the Fed was expecting you know, even three months ago. So upwards revisions there. At the same time, given the positive news on inflation, you can actually see inflation going down. So from an economic projection perspective, really what the Fed will be doing to some extent is kind of marking to market. The market already believes that you know, soft landing is, is a likely scenario because growth has been holding up, inflation is coming down. So the Fed's economic projections will sort of reflect some of that. The thing that will really get the most notice is the summary uh, or the dot plot. Uh, you know, how many hikes does the Fed expect the rest of this year? 
Right now, based on the June DOP, it was one more hike from where we are. That was sort of the median number. And then four cuts next year. So the question will be, will they still be projecting one more hike this year? Um, if a few people decide, no, we're done, that could actually tip the balance to no more hikes. But you know, my conjecture would be that they'll probably keep the dots this year the same just to keep the optionality on the table. If they were to go to no more hikes, I think the market would then perceive to be that they're done. I think they want to make that case because I think it's still very much a 50-50 outcome for November. And then they might actually reduce the number of uh, cuts for next year from 100 to 75 basis points. Uh, so that's really the focus for next week. But in some way, the real story for the Fed is not what they do next week, but what are they going to do on their November 2nd LOMC meeting? The market is close to 50-50 in terms of a hike. It's going to come down to additional data we get between now and then. If they don't hike in next week and they don't hike in November, the markets will believe that they're basically done, you know, because the economic data shouldn't be getting better at that point. It should be getting kind of showing more slowing. So if they don't hike then, it's unlikely to want to hike at a subsequent meeting. So I think that becomes a key pivot point for the markets is what they really do in, in November. If they're done, I think that provides a catalyst for the markets because now they think about the Fed done, just a matter of when they cut. But that is still, you know, about eight weeks away. A lot of data can come out. A lot of things can happen between now and then. So certainly a lot of focus for next week. But really, the moment it ends, it, the all eyes turn to the November meeting. Well, thank you, Jason, for that preview for next week and helping us manage expectations a bit in terms of what the months ahead might have in store for monetary policy. If we shift over to the market, so our listeners might recall about a month ago, we spoke about that summer runup we had back in June, July, though there really hasn't been a strong direction one way or another in recent weeks. So how would you characterize market activity as of late? Well, in the context of, of the markets rallying 10% in June and July, the S&P was up 10% during that time period. It's you know, pulled back through 4%. It's now kind of chopping around. So it's only a few percent below its, its high. As you say, it's the market's kind of lacking some direction. Uh, at least the equity markets have been in that, that time period. I think it comes down to the investors and, and the market collectively trying to assess, you know, is the U.S. economy holding up in a way that's good or is it holding up in a way that's bad? And by that, I mean... If it's too strong, if this heat wave persists, does the Fed actually have to do more? Uh, and that actually ultimately increases the downside risk for growth later on. Uh, or is the economy kind of you know, gradually slowing down? So actually, you know, bad news is kind of good. Or at least signs of the economy slowing is good for the markets because it means the Fed is done. And this is how we've actually seen equity markets trade for the past couple of weeks. On days where the economic data surprised into the upside, so you've just seen more growth resiliency, we actually see equities pull back a little bit. And on days where the data suggests, you know, you know, clear moderation, you see equities rally a little bit. So it's trading really very much almost day to day or week to week based on the economic data, sort of reinforcing or the market's trying to interpret whether this is kind of good news or bad news, ultimately for what the Fed is going to do. The other, in some way, bigger story, what's happened over the past, let's say, six weeks is the move higher in interest rates, especially in the 10 year and the 30 year, which rose, you know, around 60 basis points from mid July to where they are now. Some of that reflects the better news on the economy. You know, rate cuts that were expected next year and even beyond, they're being taken out uh, because if you get a soft landing, the Fed doesn't need to cut as much. The 10-year doesn't have to decline nearly as much. There's also certainly a technical component to this. Uh, and we just saw it even last week. A huge amount of supplies come to the market, just in the corporate bond market. Someone has to buy it. And now with central banks kind of, you know, certainly in the, the, the mode of not buying bonds of quantitative tightening, we saw it even overnight with the Bank of Japan even announcing sort of further guidance towards that. 
you have fewer buyers, a lot of supply. That's kind of a technical factor in why rates have, have backed up. So I think that's been the key story. Despite the fact that rates are backing up, equities have held in. Again, it's really because I think the overall macro story today versus you know, two months ago has improved. So that's really what the market has traded on. Is it a good story for growth to soft landing, or is it overheating? I think the, the market's still a little bit uncertain about which direction it's going at this point in time. Getting back to the macro environment, taking into account what you've shared with us as we begin to wrap up this morning, how are you recommending that investors consider positioning their portfolios at this time? Well, the equity markets are likely to remain choppy, as they have been for the past month or so, um, until there's more clarity on the Fed actually being done. So that's why the November 2nd meeting is just kind of critical in that regard. And also that the economy is really trending towards kind of a soft landing. Well, that is the base case, I think, now for most investors. You have to look at positioning, it's not aggressively, so it's kind of neutralish, still even cautious to some extent. So again, seeing data that shows growth holding up while inflation is coming down, uh, that's going to get investors more and more kind of convicted to have another leg up for the markets. If that doesn't materialize, well, then, in fact, if you see kind of growth slowing too much or heating up too much and the Fed has to do more, that's a catalyst for the markets kind of breaking down, you know, uh, with greater conviction to the downside. So for the time being, it's kind of more choppiness for kind of equity markets overall, which means when we look at where bond yields are right now, that sort of reaffirms our, of our key messages to you know, buy high-money bonds. These are attractive yields when you can lock in a Treasury bond at 4.3% at the 10-year level, uh, 5 to 5.5% for investment grade, corporate bonds, something equivalent, you know, tax-adjusted basis for municipal bonds. Those are attractive. Same thing with you know, mortgage-backed securities. So high-quality bonds give you income, uh, good yield, uh, and if the economy does slow, those yields are likely to drift at least a little bit lower between now and, and year-end. From an equity perspective, a message that we've been seeing for a while is to kind of look for the laggards, uh, and you know, that's been true for a few months now. We've seen it do fine. It's sort of been performing in line with the market, which means it hasn't really been fully embraced sort of a soft landing narrative, and we think that's still ultimately the way it's going to play out. So there's more upside in there. It's also, given the concentration in the market this year, and we saw that with you know, Apple last week, and it pulled back a decent amount. If you concentrate too much on those winners, you know, you can really be hurt when things kind of reverse. So the laggards also play some sort of diversification. So it's another thing, key thing to think about is make sure your portfolio is diversified, and that often means looking for those laggards in the markets as opposed to those who've been the strong winners this year. So those two messages, high-quality bonds, equity laggards, those are still the two messages that we'd emphasize the most right now. Jason, as always, thank you for the guidance when it comes to positioning and for walking our listeners, our clients through what you've been picking up on in recent weeks as it pertains to the economy, the policy environment, previewing what the months ahead have in store, and of course, making sense of the market activity we've been witnessing as of late. So thank you, Jason, for the insights as always, and wish you a great week ahead. You're welcome. Have a great week. Thank you, Jason. Again, today we have been joined by Jason Dreho, the head of asset allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. We have been referencing this morning Jason's most recent blog. Title is Heat Wave is available for you now up on UBS.com slash CIO for clients of UBS. Simply reach out to your UBS financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of Jason's blog directly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. 
UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.